Welcome to another episode of the Tenago Bot Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Gabe. And we're just a couple of idiots just talking about music. And Gabe, why don't you tell us what we're breaking down today? Yeah, so today we are going to be doing a uh, new-ish record. It didn't come out this week. It actually came out last week, but uh, there was really nothing that came out this week that there we wanted to wasn't. talk about. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about the uh, newest Volbeat record uh, called Servant of the Mind. This was released on December 3rd on uh, Universal Music Records. There was also uh, split labeling with uh, a couple other labels, but basically they all fall underneath the wing of Universal Records. Uh, Volby is going to be Michael Polson on lead guitar and rhythm, or excuse me, lead vocals and rhythm guitar. John Larson on drums. Rob Caggiano, I think, That's uh, on lead probably. guitar and backing vocals, and then Casper Boy Larson on bass and backing vocals. And uh, yeah, L- Matt, why don't you go ahead and just hit me with it? Yeah, first no, absolutely. So this um, full transparency, uh, when we were trying to figure out what we were going to review for this week, is Gabe and I were just kind of like, we're not sure what we're going to do. And when we ended up finding this one, is this was probably the most in in the vein of what the Tentacle Ball podcast has been so far. And I don't think either of us were particularly jazzed about coming into this record. I had listened to one of the singles, Wait a Minute, My Girl, uh, before and immediately was turned off by the song. Started this record and I was very surprised at how much I actually ended up enjoying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like like Matt said, like neither of us were really super hyped for it. Um I've listened to maybe about like an album's worth of Volbeat mm-hmm. songs over the years, and they, they've been around like what sixteen years or something like that. The Since first two thousand one. Oh wow, I didn't realize it yeah. that long. I, I remember seeing two thousand five, um, but yeah. So and I discovered them right around the time that everybody else did when they were releasing uh, Above Heaven, Below. Yeah, because that was that uh, the Warrior was the yeah. Big, the Call of the Warrior was yep. the big one that they yeah. And so like I, I discovered them, I was like, hey, these guys are cool, and then proceeded to never touch them again. Basically, with same. exception of like hearing a song here and there and whatnot. <clears throat> so, like Matt said, not really excited going into it. This album was a fun album, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's definitely not striking me as album of the year material. Uh, but it definitely scratched the rockabilly and surfy itch that I've been having since my old Deadbeat Hymns days, the uh, the surf punk band that I used to be a part of uh, as a drummer. Uh, each track brought something a little bit different to the album and was an overall pleasant experience, especially after the atrocity that was last week with Of Mice and Men. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't blame you for that. Jumping into the musical review, though, is Volbeat's not just Cher meets Slayer anymore. Mm-hmm. It's... Basically, Cher meets Elvis Presley with Metallica sprinkled on top. Riffs reminiscent of Metallica's rock material, so anything really between Black Album to Death Magnetic. Uh, Stay the same as I remember from them before, and kind of like you were saying, about 2010 was really where I was interested in them. And I believe it was, I had seen Volbeat live 2013 or 2014, and so, it, again, it was pretty pretty par for the course for what I had known. But there are elements sprinkled in that give the vibe of this swingy rock and roll that was completely took me by surprise. We also get a portion of songs with trumpets and other instruments kind of given that like big band vibe kind of mixed in, which I really, really like that here in this record. Yeah, there, there's a constant blend throughout this entire record of just rock and roll, heavy metal, and rockabilly kind of vibes throughout it. Uh, and I guess a little bit of psychobilly, though. That's kind of more in the punk realms, which they're not mm-hmm. really delving as much into. Um, there's 
a lot of different elements that the, these individual songs introduce. They introduce different keys and key changes, tempos, wide use of vocal techniques and range, and so on. Like every time I listened to it, I was finding something new, and that's really never a bad place for an album to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never felt like I missed out on a part. It was just kind of a, a deeper exploration of it. Yeah. Um, moving on into the lyrical uh, kind of review of it. Some of the songs are fine. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them, I have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. And really, thematically, this record's all over the place. Very much so. So reading through a number of the songs, I got some very straightforward references, mentions, nods to various religions or mythologies. Um, and it, it, again, straightforward as it references Sumerian, Egyptian, and Christian um, it references the Sumerian and Egyptian kind of just like by explicitly saying Sumerian or Egyptian. I, I have words on those later on, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll that, get to that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it, it's like it's at like nods, mentions. Um, it, it's not like a blatant like this is what the song's about. But there are also a number of mentions to Second Lives here, which I'm not quite sure the insinuations. Uh, it sounds like... In some of the songs, it was like a, a loved one had passed on, so it was like a second life, kind of mentioning the afterlife. Um, but there was also a mention uh, where where it kind of came from the narrator's perspective of they were in their second life, which seeing that the band is currently still alive is that's where I was kind of, I was trying to kind of pick that apart and see if I could dig into that. Uh, kind of jumping back into the uh, telling a story of a person that was lost is some of the songs being Shotgun Blues. I put a question mark by Say No More. Um, there was a little bit of that. And then is the song Becoming, where it felt like they were, there was the telling of the story of this this loved one that was that had passed and it was kind of coming to terms. So it, it felt like some narrative in here. I'll get to it when we get to that track, but Becoming was actually about that. It was um, referencing, i uh, briefly forgetting the guy's name. Uh, it was... Uh, LG Petrov, I, I forget his exact name because mm-hmm. uh, it's foreign and I'm bad at that. Um, but LG Petrov used to be the uh, ooh, the frontman for Entombed, who passed away this year. And oh so that, wow! That, that okay. song is actually in memory of him. Oh, that's cool. I'll get into that okay. later, though. No, that's that, I appreciate that. Yeah. But but uh, there's a lot of songs on this album, uh, and we're also just to uh, clarify, we are going over the deluxe version, and mm-hmm. so we'll we'll cover those deluxe songs as well here. Uh, but before we do that, we do want to break it up and go into the album cover review. Um, this Not, is a weird one, man. <laughs> I honestly, the first time I saw this, I started laughing. Um, yeah, basically, what it is is it's a a man holding his face that he has broken off, uh, not ripped off in a sense like it's not gory or gruesome or anything like that. It's broken off like it's almost porcelain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got that in his hands, away from where his face was, and then inside of his face, there's another face of the same looking dude, except with a slightly larger mustache. It kind of looks. And on it, it looks like it's lower than the the top of the head, so mm-hmm. it almost looks like he's trying to like tiptoe and like look over <laughs> what it what would be the bottom jaw. Yeah, it is an old timey uh, kind of look to it. the The guy is dressed in kind of a, a vest, tie, and, and long t- a long sleeve t shirt or mm-hmm. a, a long sleeve button up shirt. Uh, it's black and white with a sepia tint. On top is the Volbeat name, and below that is the album title, "Servant of the Mind." Uh, I did also. I was able to find the uh, artist for this. It was Frode Silth. I, I'm, I'm almost certain I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he is a, uh, a local artist there in Denmark, where they are from. Okay. Uh, 
it, this was interesting because this was a, a departure from their normal like outlaw countryman kind of sketch art that they've had on past ones with exception of their last album that they had prior to this. Mm-hmm. Most of them had that kind of like outlaw looking dude like from a saloon kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the significance of that. I just thought that, honestly, this is just kind of weird. Yeah. No, and honestly, I could kind of still see a little bit of the outlaw look in Definitely. it. And I think because of that kind of sepia tone that was over the top of it. Uh, but it was, I, I kind of looked at the, the picture of it, and especially with it being servant of the mind, is it felt like a reference to the... And I bel- I want to say it's a, the Japanese that kind of have have an expo- explanation of it, but there's each person has kind of three identities. Uh, I know one of them is the identity when it's just you by yourself. There's one where it's you with other people, and I want to say the third one is like how people perceive you, and is kind of the three. I think it's so, a Buddhist principle. That it could be, I could be mixing some stuff up. So, so that, if this I am, is why we review music, review music. We don't know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> but with, with with that backstory, is it kind of felt like this idea of kind of removing the mask that this person's put on to allow them to be kind of their genuine self? Is that's kind of what I was kind of seeing? But it also gives off this vibe of like the the inner person, like in in almost like a subconscious mm-hmm. reference. Yeah. I mean, overall, like I definitely see servant of the mind in this image. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, just, I think I was just kind of taken aback by it. Cause like I was expecting the normal kind of like gunslinging root and tube yeah. kind of guy on their, on their album cover. And I get this and I just couldn't help but giggle. There wasn't <laughs> enough yeehaw. <laughs> it's always yeehaw, but never ha yee. <laughs> uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and move into the track-by-track track review, starting out with Temple of Ikur. The Temple of Ikur! Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Matt. Start, start us off. So, where other records this year have surprised me for being really heavy and or just nasty in some way, shape, or form, this one wasn't at all. And I, really, I was surprised at how much I ended up liking it, again, based off of kind of coming in what I had already known about this record. It's mid-tempo, it's a little bit riffy throughout, but it never gets to a point where everything kind of jumps up in energy. It's kind of, like I said, mid-tempo, nothing nothing too extravagant, and it's a fun opener. I, I would actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like this one here, it starts off real high energy, kind of two step in song. Um, I'm very confused at the meaning of this song, though. Like, so the the Temple of Ikur, or also known as Duranki, is the Sumerian equivalent of Greek mythology's Mount Olympus, which basically is like mountain house or something like that. Yeah. Is the direct translation uh, from what I was finding. And assumingly, so are Enkur and Leel, Nungal, and the other names that were dropped in the song. However, he mentions Egyptius in in the chorus of the song, which feels like it would be related to Egypt. Yeah. But Sumeria was located in, at that time, like southern Mesopotamia, which is now kind of like southeastern Iraq, mm-hmm. which is good five six seven hundred miles away from egypt yeah Yeah, i could i'm ballparking that i'm not certain on that feels right and with the way that like their mythology works so my my mythology is spotty and so again don't take us for for face value or take us at face value here Mm -hmm. whatever the right term is for that uh the way that the sumerian mythology reads is a lot more similar to greek mythology where instead of having a single afterlife 
and then that ap- that afterlife splits into some more Egyptian mythology. It's more like you have your your three realities, like in Greek mythology, you have your your uh, terrestrial reality, which is where like humans and everybody else lives mm-hmm. on that plane, and the gods may walk in to and from freely. Right. Um, there's the Mount Olympus version, or in this case, occur. Uh, that's this kind of high top heavenly area. And then like, there's your underworld, which I'm sure that they have an underworld. I didn't see one and I didn't look too deep into it because Mm -hmm. it's a musical review and not a mythological (laughs) podcast, but that's beside the point. Yep. So I don't know what this means. (laughs) Yeah, no. And and this, this is where, you know, the, the Egypt um, reference that I had seen and especially like just a blatant reference to Samaria is that's why I was again kind of seeing this reference to kind of mythologies and especially seeing what that the occur is the mountain house and kind of being what is Mount Olympus to Greek mythology is it, so it, it was definitely weird but I, I it's a fun song. It is. No, it is. <laughs> um, then we go into wait a minute my girl and uh, I, I know Matt had some thoughts on this one here. Typically, when I write my notes for this cast, I like to be able to have the song playing in the back. That way, it's got my full attention, and I can make sure that if there's something that I hadn't caught before, I can make a mention of here in my notes. I didn't play this song at all when I wrote these notes. I had it, it was dead silent, and I just wrote these notes. I hated this the first time I heard it, and every time I've heard it since, I have hated it. The end part where we start to hear like the kind of big band come in, I really like that. Other than that, if there was a rock and roll hall of garbage, this song can go in it along with Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes and the newest Escape the Fate record. This is trash. I want it to go away forever. I loved this song. (laughs) Gabe? Are you okay? <laughs> uh, no, I, I genuinely like this song. So, like, it, it is straight whiplash from Temple of a Kerr. Mm-hmm. Like, you have this super, like, uh, minor key kind of, like, this Phrygian, Mixolydian kind of, uh, or I'm, I'm totally butchering these. It's kind of like whatever the Egyptian scale is. I think that's Phrygian. Um, that sounds right. If I remember correctly. Yeah. I'm, I'm very bad at music theory. I'm, I'm good at application, not understanding that's fair <laughs> uh but so we have like this very dark kind of weird upbeat two-step sounding and then it just goes into this straight like elvis jerry lee lewis kind of uh, uh song with wait a minute my girl like it's a blast like th- th- this song is meant for a sock hop and there's no telling me otherwise <laughs> that's fair um we get a wild heaping of piano and saxophone in this song which it's it's weirdly placed in terms of the album but i really like it um uh, notably, Doug Corcoran was a saxophonist, and Ray Gisildo, I believe, is how it's pronounced, was on piano. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I I love this song. I thought it was a lot of fun. I very I disagree heavily with the placement of it, mm-hmm. but this is a very fun song. Um, notably, as well is this song was one of the first of two singles that were released on the same day for this album. Really? Yeah. Which is uh. Really weird in comparison with the rest of the album, and I'll, I'll get to the second one later. But it, it's also a really weird one. Okay, 
So following this one, or following that song, is called The Sacred Stones. Whiplash once again. Yes. <laughs> this one, the main riff, I got mad Metallica vibes. It's another solid song on the record, and I always got a kick out of hearing this one and just the casual listenings. The section towards the end before the solo where everything's just broken down and no vocals was done really well. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there and just being really into it it's it was tasteful there's nothing else to say really about it for me yeah um, so you heard metallica i heard ghost on this one i get i think i can kind of see that which i think is kind of fun since they're going on tour with them here soon that's right i forgot about that but um yeah like and and i I definitely see your metallica because that was my first thought as well and Mm -hmm. then just like on repeat Mm -hmm. listens i just felt it was a little bit more ghost vibes yeah because i feel like it kind of had more that scooby-doo music vibe to it well and i think (laughs) you're very much more a ghost fan than i am and i think you've dug into so much more of their material i've listened to more like the singles so i can't i can't really attest too much to it but i can see a little bit of the resemblance yeah uh we do get a lot more edge in Paulson's vocals from this one and honestly i kind of got a lot of like tim McElrath from rise against vibes uh it, it not to the point where like it has kind of that same crunch and punk aesthetic that mm-hmm. uh McElrath's vocals have but like his his clean tones they they sound similar I, I wouldn't consider them like similar vocalists but like they're just tonal similarities there so let me ask you this then gabe hmm. did it sound like rise against featuring danzig I will fight you so hard. <laughs> beat you to the joke. Yeah, yeah, you did. And I'm not going to lie. You definitely beat me to it. Um, lyrically, I don't know what this song is. It sounds like weird universe abuse where the devil assembles the infinity stones or something. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand it. Thanos called. He wants his stones back. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> the, the song is fine. It doesn't really stand out as like an exceptional one in the album. But um, the guitar solo in the end was a nice touch. It's a mm-hmm. solid song through and through. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, then we go into Shotgun Blues, and uh, notably on this one here is on the deluxe version, there is there is two versions of the song. So there's the regular version of it with Paulson on vocals, and then there is also the uh, a, a redux version with uh, Dave Matrice from Jungle Rot on the vocals, uh, on, on handling some of the vocals, which yep. is super neat. That was really cool, and I'll honestly, I'll actually tackle kind of go my thoughts it. on both of them. So Shotgun Blues, uh, just bass version, is the main riff felt probably the most stereotypical Volbeat up to this point on the record, and also up to this point is every song so far feels like they could be singles. They could be introduced into the set list for the band and all be very welcomed. Shotgun Blues was a single. It was the third single, I believe, out of four. So, and then I'll I'll be fully transparent. The only song that I knew about being a single was Wait a Minute, My Girl. Um, I intentionally avoided finding out what songs were singles just because there were so many that I feel like could be singles Mm -hmm. and, again, introduced into the live sets. Main riff is simple, not much to it, but still really, really catchy. The solo is weird in kind of the the playing of it and kind of the the techniques that are being done. But I think the uniqueness is really what adds gives it the charm. Super catchy chorus that gets the crowd singing. And then going into the version with Dave Matrice is I did not expect it at all. Uh, I remember initially listening to it and just hearing this not like death metal vocal is probably the the closest explanation. That's what Jungle Rod is, yeah. is a death metal band. Is I hear that with Volbeat, I'm like this 
doesn't make sense, but I like it. So it worked so well. And, and, and to note, too, Polson is actually a really big extreme metal fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a death metal band before he was in Volbeat. Oh, that's cool. And so, like, he's I, a lot of this record is going back to a lot of the roots, and I really appreciate that yeah. from, from that standpoint. Um, yeah, I, I personally favor the version with Dave Matrice just because that's the death metal kid in me. Yeah. Well, and the, the cool thing about this is how what they did with kind of having Dave come in and then not just having Dave do vocals exclusively, but there were parts where it was Michael and Dave mm-hmm. layered together. And it, I think that it really added to the, the tastefulness of the song. Yeah, the, the, it's very influenced by death metal on this song. Same with the solo. I love the solo on this mm-hmm. one. It's super neat. And this, this is a solid song. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Then we go into The Devil Rages On. Okay, Elvis. <laughs> this is my favorite song on the record. Hands down. I love this song. I, I, could, <laughs> I can honestly believe, I can understand this being your like, favorite song. Be still my surfy rockabilly heart. <laughs> 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 like, the... the, the Oh, man, I could two-step so hard to this song. He's <laughs> like, now hold on a minute, fellas. And he's like, oh, and then they're like, they bring it in. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. That's mush. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's easily like my favorite vocal performance from Pulse on the entire album mm-hmm. just because he explores his range so much. Yeah. And, um, it, yeah, th- again, this is another one of those ones that really brings me back to my Deadbeat Hymns days uh, prior to prior to me leaving. Um, the cavernous reverb, spring reverb, the slapback delay, the swingy feel just made me feel right at home with the song. Yeah. So honestly, I made a note. Like I could honestly bet money that you could take this song, take it to a 1950s themed like restaurant or bar or whatever, just something kind of like that vibe. Throw that into the the jukebox or like their their playlist of songs, and it would fit right in. Yep. Like it just has that much of that re- really swingy rock and roll vibe to it. It's it comes in really hard with the rock and roll. It's an unexpected turn from the first listens, but it's a super groovy song. I could honestly see that see this again being a single, being a part of the live shows. On it, you could probably even have it as like a song to dance to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is not one of the singles. I'm quite surprised by that, to be honest. Yeah, it's, so far we, what we, we've uh, mentioned is "Wait a Minute, My Girl" was the fir- one of the first singles. There was yep. two released that day, and then um, uh, "Shotgun Blues" is the third single. Okay, I'll, I'll get to uh, two and four here soon. So next up, we have "Say No More." Why don't you go ahead and start us out on this one, Matt? Absolutely. So we return to the heavier, faster stuff, and I just want to explain, this is nowhere near fast and heavy like we have seen here on the podcast, but at least for for full beat standards that we return to the faster and heavier stuff. Um, it puts the rock and roll away and returns to a lot more of the modern rock sound that they've been famous for. The chorus always caught me in casual listens, and I also want to mention that the solo in this song isn't overly shreddy, other than in a couple of parts, but is still a welcomed addition, and it's it's just another solid offering. Yeah, this one reminds me a lot of uh, like middle albums from Trivium, like uh, N Waves, uh, uh, Vengeance Falls, and uh, Silence in the Snow. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of like them slowed down. Like it, it's syncopated chug riffs and groove riffs. It's not direct copies, but like there's similar similarities that are definitely there. Um, the verses and non-chorus bits are definitely notable for me, but as soon as we come into the pre-chorus and chorus, I do lose it for this song. Um, it just, 
coming off the tail the tales of the devil rages on i understand my hesitations with it it's mm-hmm. just kind of okay yeah no i get that um, and on, I, I really like the solo this is one of the better ones on the album for me too okay now for me the song that i found really um lackluster is heaven's descent i found myself just tuning just tuning out during this song even when i was writing the notes for this one is i was sitting there trying to listen to the song and then i ended up just thinking about pokemon or magic or other music like i just i was just thinking about other things the song just wasn't enough to keep me interested it, it there was nothing wrong with the guitar playing or the vocals or any of the other rest of the instrumentals it's just again just to me wasn't very interesting of a song it was it, it was an interesting song in kind of the wrong regards yeah like it, it's not really more of an attention captivating one for sure um it definitely brings energy it's a solid headbanger for the most part um i i do like the chorus on this one it's really catchy mm-hmm. the uh the bridge is definitely a bit weird it kind of brings it, it it brings it into a major key and then sounds like it's from a pop song uh the solo following is really cool uh it kind of sounds like it's something like straight out of journey um I, I thought it was neat. It's not really my cup of tea personally, but uh, it drops it back into the minor key to finish out the rest of the song. So, like, they did definitely change something up. I don't think this one just really hit the bar for it. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Uh, moving on, we get into, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong because it's in Danish. Uh, I think it's Dog and Four, uh, which is featuring Stein Bramson, Branson, who is the lead vocalist for Alpha Beats, uh, which is a Danish pop group. Yep. And then uh, this is wh- single number two. Was it? It was. So um, <laughs> I'll make a note here really quick is this is another one of the songs that on the deluxe edition we get a uh, different version of. And it's um, what they did is it was actually just Michael's vocals as opposed to um, having the feature of Stein. This is my favorite song on the record. Really? I, ca- I can't get over the chorus. The uh, chorus what? hooked me so hard. I I love this. So – before we started rec- talking about the – before we started the podcast today, the face you're making is honestly – I was not coming into today expecting this whatsoever. <laughs> dude, so before we started recording the podcast, is I was actually talking about actually p- start trying to just build a playlist of stuff to listen to so that way it's not just – Okay, I need to go pick a record and listen to it, but actually just throw a bunch of stuff in. This, if I could only pick one song off this record to put in this playlist, this is it. I'm not I'm probably gonna take quite a few songs out of this record, but this is a guaranteed going into it. Um I I was not ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> Compositionally, it's a pop song with rock paint on it. The chorus mm-hmm. always caught me off guard. Um listening to it especially in the the casual listens it just you know i'm just kind of like oh yeah volby volby and then it just come and then stein comes in and i would i'm hooked it's the when the solo came in it let me backtrack as i listened to the song is it very much painted this very like flowery meadow picture like it it was just a it's a very pretty song and then once the solo comes in is the picture changes significantly but it doesn't ruin the song and just listen to this song i i love it all right 
yeah. Um, yeah. The only other thing I really have to add here is just um, I've never really heard Danish spoken or sung before, so mm-hmm. that, it was kind of neat to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I I don't even know what to say at this point. <laughs> so we're just gonna move on. <laughs> before we do, actually, okay. uh, we should probably talk about the Michael vocals version. Um, um, I don't like it as much. I feel like having Stein on there adds a better element yeah. to it. And same same here. Um, honestly, Stein being on it is definitely making the song better but with the just michael version only is it's still a very pretty chorus with how michael's performing it and to be completely honest when i listen to him singing the chorus it doesn't even sound like the same vocalist Mm -hmm. he he changes the way he's singing it so almost drastically that i couldn't um i i again just didn't recognize him Uh, but that being said, let's move into the passenger, which I know you alluded to a little bit, kind of saying that you, you know, at least thematically, you weren't really able to kind of pick pick it up. But what what are your thoughts on this song overall? I have the slightest clue what this song means. Like it, it's fun, <laughs> it's upbeat, but um, yeah, I'm just gonna read the lyrics for this. We're in a hurry. We're running out of time. Don't wait for no one. Double negative. Tonight's the night. Flashing and dancing and celebrating youth. The portal opens. We're leaving soon. Okay, what portal? Uh, don't have to worry. I don't mind. Let's go together, you and I. Evolution Field, I couldn't leave the other night. Evolution Road, I can't leave before I die. Verse 2, welcome my darkness, my enemy and friend. I hear you talking again, again. How many generations do belong to you? They are all now passing through me by you. And then we go back into the chorus multiple times and we end with a guitar solo. I don't know what this means. Lyrically, this one was <laughs> weird. So... <laughs> I, what the, what portal is is this the portal where the, where the devil comes with the infinity stones? I think this is the portal where the devil comes with the infinity stones. <gasps> Plot <laughs> twist. <laughs> so uh, honestly, like listen, reading through it, and after having reading having read through some of the other lyrics on this record, is I kind of got this idea that we've se- seen references to like the loss of a loved one, mm-hmm. and based on the um, and. I'm going to butcher the the exact verbiage of it, but the uh, passing of multiple generations through me is it almost felt like it was like maybe a mother, a father, or even a grandparent because it's generations of family. And then it all kind of culminates into Michael, who's kind of, you know, again, just this culmination of all these generations uh, that's what I was kind of getting at with the kind of lyrical content, at least musically, is we're back to the more typical Volbeat sound, but it has this hint of punk in it. The song's good, but it's not one I'd go out of my way for sound-wise. I do want to make sure to note that the strong technicality is present here, but it's just not interesting enough to keep me invested. Yeah, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth between the time, time signatures on this one, and um, it, it kind of just makes the, f- the song feel a bit off for me. Mm-hmm. Like, changing time signatures is a very difficult thing to do in music. Yeah. This is where it did work. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with that. Now, let's jump into Step Into Light. We back with the Rockabilly Boys. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's really the only draw for me on this song. Um, it's doesn't have the most technical solo on the album, but it was really enjoyable for me because it stayed true to the surfy nature and introduces some thick tremolo effect that we haven't really seen mm-hmm. uh, on the surfier songs on the album. Yeah, otherwise, there, this one doesn't really 
do much for me. The two the, the two things that I'll I'll make a note of that you I mean you you took a lot of the notes that I had here <laughs> on the song. The two things I will say is it's basically a song from the fifties, just drop two octaves. And you can't really tell me otherwise. I mean, I can tell you that you're wrong on two octaves, but sure. <laughs> as as somebody who's more of a like listener of music as opposed to being able to play music, rough guessing, um, very rough guessing. I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one is, I feel like this would be a song that could work in their live set, but it would be kind of weird at the same time. Just mm-hmm. kind of if you look at what Volbeat has kind of done before. Based on, and this is also based on my knowledge of Volbeat, is it's kind of been, you know, a little bit of the the same thing, just that more just modern rock. But having this, like, really surfy vibe would just kind of, it would be cool, but it'd be weird. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, I'm right there with you. I don't really know most of Volbeat's discography, Mm -hmm. so I'm coming in this fresh. This album could be garbage compared to the rest of their stuff, but yeah. I like this album. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not too bad. Uh, then we go into number eleven with "Becoming," and this track is single number four. Okay, more fast and more heavy. Yeah, like they finally like showcase because like the the first two singles they released were were "Wait a Minute, My Girl" and "Dog and Four, which both of those are very weird songs to introduce, especially in. In comparison with the rest of the album, yeah, well, and, and it's it's almost two completely contrasting ideas because you have this rockabilly song, and then you also have a pop song with the again the rock paint over it, and it's like okay, here's the two songs that are coming off this record. You have no idea which way your this record's going. Well, and then the the third and fourth singles they release are death metal influenced. Yeah, which is even weirder because then you're like, all right, cool. Is this going rockabilly? Is it going death metal or is it going pop? And jokes on you, it goes all three. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, this one here was. Uh, uh, it was a tribute to LG Petrov of Entombed, who passed away um, to, uh, I believe, cancer in 2021. Um, but Paul, as I mentioned earlier, Paulson was a really big extreme metal fan. Mm-hmm. Entombed, obviously, it's just kind of one of those bands up there with like Death and Cannibal Corpse. Uh, Cannibal Corpse, mm-hmm. uh, just like all these like big death metal names. So they, they're kind of in their um, obituary. That was the other one I was looking for. But uh, yeah, so this entire song really feels like a death metal song mm-hmm. until you get to the chorus and the chorus honestly sounded just straight up like Avenged Sevenfold to me. I get, I get to see that. You um, want to know yeah. what else is extreme metal? Yeah. What's up? Black metal. Check out our black metal episode. Wow. That was a bad segue. I <laughs> was, I, it sounded a lot better in my head. It should have stayed there. My <laughs> God. No, I'm sad. Uh, Yeah, before the vocals come in, like I was honestly expecting some solid death metal and was really digging it. I still Mm -hmm. enjoy the song. Um, I see why it's one of the more popular ones, and I see why they released this one as a single. Yeah, Um, the solo in this one is super cool, and I the the vocals did drag it down a little bit for me, just because I was ready for some death metal. That's fair. Yeah, no, this one is the transition into the verse riff and the the verse riff itself were really sick. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to this song and caught that immediately, and that was probably my f- one of my favorite p- parts of the song itself. The chorus felt a little separated from the rest of the song, but it wasn't separated enough for me to hate the song or at least hate the chorus. 
overall, I think it's a pretty okay song. Then the solo happens, and I I gotta say it's still a, an okay song, but it has some really cool parts mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, from there we go into track twelve, which is Mind Lock. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and kick us off on this one? So the bass or the the kick drum f- sounded really weird here, mm-hmm. and I don't know if. It, it felt like it was too pronounced, and I don't know if it was an error in regards to the mixing of it or the playing of it, but it, it just it sounded really weird. And honestly, it was kind of off-putting for me with listening to the song. It's a little all over the mix, so again, the song loses a little bit of credit just unfortunately due to that. More of what Volbeat's really known for and not much else outside of that. It's just kind of a weak addition here on the record. Yeah, it's groovy. It has some fun riffs, but it's not really memorable for me. It's not really a bad song, but mm-hmm. at track 12 and knowing I've got another six songs on the deluxe version left, yeah, it just the, the fatigue set in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, on the regular version of the album, there is only one more song, so that is of note. And mm-hmm. uh, the bridge and the chorus on this one do feature Mia, and I don't know if it's Maha or Maja, uh, on backup vocals. Okay. No, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and then we go into the last track on the final, uh, the last track on the regular version of the album, or track thirteen on the deluxe. Uh, it's Lasses Ber- Bergita, Bergita. Um, Matt, I'm gonna go ahead and let you get your thoughts on this one here because I have a history lesson on this one afterwards. Okay, so um, the song made me laugh the first time I heard it. <laughs> so the main riff uh, on the song, you want to know what it reminded me of? What's that? The main riff of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers theme song. Featuring Danzig? No. <laughs> but it, it just it was very similar in tone and playing. And yeah. I kind of listened. I was like, okay, that's kind of silly. Um, the song's use of the more jam-packed verses and then kind of going into a chorus where it felt a lot emptier than we hear a lot of bands do. So it's almost like a, a reverse of the compositions that we typically see. I thought was a really cool texture that really needs to be mentioned here. The composition for the song itself is really neat. And honestly, I need a, a lot more listens and a lot more time to really kind of go in and be able to to break down this composition just to kind of try and try and understand it more. So this one here, before I get into my history lesson, it's the longest song on the album at eight minutes long. Yep. It's like 756 or something like that. Yeah, it's like just under. Um, It's fitting for the end, the regular version of the album, uh, just because there are some thematic elements throughout the album of like the devil and kind of, uh, I guess a little bit of raising the dead with like the second afterlife weird mm-hmm. thing that they have going on. So it kind of thematically fits. Um, let me, I'm going to go ahead and just read the article on this one here because it, it does put it really well and concise. Um, so Lasses Birgitta, which is the, um, the direct translation is Birgitta wife of Lassie. Uh, she was an alleged Swedish wish, which, I can't speak. Uh, she was an alleged Swedish witch, uh, and she was the first woman executed for sorcery in Sweden. Died in, ni- in uh, 1550. Uh, t- t- she um, was from Augustrum in Oland. I'm probably definitely pronouncing that incorrectly, mm-hmm. which is basically this little sliver of island that's off of the coast of Sweden. Okay. That's still part of it. Um, Oland is kind of like what 
would be akin to, I believe, their county and or like a city state. Okay. Um, kind of like what we have here in borders and counties and stuff. Right. Um, so she confessed to a bailiff and the secretary on Kalmar Castle that she had tried to awaken a dead man in Castlosa Cemetery at midnight. Uh, one night, she and two men had entered the churchyard with the intent of wakening one of the dead by magic. Brigitte had passed the place in a circle three times and then blew through the keyhole of the church until it opened. She had tried to get a hold of the stole, but did not find it and leave and had to leave. Uh, the stole is going to be like the um, the long garment that like the priest would wear. Oh, okay. Uh, so in more modern times, usually it's going to be like purple, blue, or red. I don't know if that's the case for these times, just depending on what they had access to. Right. But that's what a stole is. Okay. Uh, so uh, she tried to get a hold of the stole, but did not find it and had to leave. After which she locked the door, doing the same way that she had entered it. So blowing through that lock. Uh, after another attempt on a different occasion, she had succeeded in getting the stole past the church three times against the sun, renounced God, and swore herself to the devil. The court judged Birgitta as guilty of sorcery and sentenced her to death by decapitation, and the men who accompanied her were fined. Sexism in the 1550s. <laughs> Neat. Um, also notably, the uh, this was kind of the, the first notable thing because it was the first person who died as a result of a witch hunt, mm-hmm. uh, which in... American uh, history, we know that there was the Salem Witch Trials that yep. happened. Uh, these happened prior to that. The Salem Witch Trials happened in the 1700s? It's like 17 or 1800s. Okay, I confirmed so we didn't sound like idiots. Uh, they started around like 1690s or somewhere in there. So it was slightly after Europe, but uh, primarily Europe uh, remained inactive on their witch hunt after this until uh, the 1590s, but the real like hysteria happened mm-hmm. in the late 1660s okay uh, so america followed suit a little bit beyond that um and this is prior to america becoming a nation uh while we were still just a a, a collection of colonies um but that was just kind of an interesting little history piece that i wasn't expecting to learn as i was going into this record that's interesting i i didn't even look into that yeah but cause I, I saw that and i'm like I wonder what that means. And then I looked it up and I just like discovered this entire world of like this first execution of, of a witchcraft. I'm like, what? That's cool. <laughs> so it, it was kind of neat. Um, yeah. Again, sexism in the 1550s, she was put to death for uh, being a sorceress. Whereas the two guys who just charged money. <laughs> neat. Um, but yeah, that does it for the, uh, the regular version of the album. Then the deluxe version of the album, as we've already discussed, has um, the alternate version of shotgun, uh, Shotgun Blues mm-hmm. with the Jungle Rot vocalist. It has the non-Stein uh, vocals of Dagon 4. And then we have three covers on the album. The first of which is going to be Return to None. Uh, this is originally done by Wolf Brigade, which is a Swedish hardcore punk band. And Matt, I'm going to go ahead and let you kick this one off. Completely did not know these were covers. <laughs> this is Okay, so <laughs> genuinely... And I, I looked into some of the information related to the record specifically, but through through my research, and I had to have glossed over something, I did not know these were covers. So I'm going, basically my notes are off the idea that these are original Volbeat songs, or okay. at least two of the songs are. Yeah, I, I would expect it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the chanting vocals in this one were really quite unexpected. Um, we have not seen anything like that here on this record. And I think it helps keeps a song that already has a lot of different elements more interesting. 
Uh, it's another song tinged with punk, and it's most prominently displayed in the instrumentals. I'm a bit indifferent on this one, even with that kind of varied nature. Like, it's good, but it's not at the same time. I'm Like I said, I'm just indifferent. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, this is originally done by Wolf Brigade, which they're a Swedish hardcore punk band, and this is based off, this is based off of the song with the same name, uh, off of their 2017 album, Run With The Hunted. Um, Volbeat basically copies the song with Polson's vocals and the polished uh, recording style that Volbeat's perfected. Mm-hmm. Um, by our standards, like it's a solid cover. It's cool to see them go back to like some of the hardcore punk roots yeah. uh, and coming forward with Volbeat. Uh, I do prefer the original because I love Mikhail Dahl's vocals, but Volbeat did a good cover here. Mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy this one. Next up, we have Domino. I'll go ahead and, and lay the groundwork on Please. this one here. <laughs> Please. Um, so again, they're acknowledging more of the roots here. They bring out a cover uh, by Roy Orbison uh, off of 1961's At the Rock House. But that being said, stylistically, the cover is more like the Cramps version from it in 1983's Off the Bone, uh, which is kind of a weird in, in cover inception. So like mm-hmm. the, the original song is Roy Orbison, but the way that he's doing like his vocal style and everything is really just based off of the Cramps. Okay. Um, realistically, I have the same opinion on this one as I did with Return to None, though I do prefer this version um, over the originals just because of the heavier aspect of it, and honestly, Polson kills it vocally on this one. Like, he, he kills it vocally. This one is... I, I found this song to be kind of an odd one. It, it comes off as a song that's trying to be both rock and roll, but almost be a satire of it. It all... It, 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 Again, this is also based on me thinking that this is an original song. So I, I did not know that this one was a cover either until I read into it after the fact. So okay. I, I understand where you're coming yeah. from. And it, it's... It, Return to None, not so much because I didn't know that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the the funny thing is, is if you listen to Michael's kind of performances, I think that's really what kind of almost gives it the satire. Plus it's talking talking about this cat named domino and it, it just sounds so stereotypical for that kind of that era of music i that's really where i kind of was getting that vibe yeah and it's, so with roy orbison too like he was that era of music that yeah. like early 60s like pre-doo-wop era mm-hmm. where it's still kind of having like a lot of those uh uh, a, a black influenced rock. Mm-hmm. So like what Elvis had really kicked off, Roy Orbison really kind of took in I mean, that man can play guitar. Like no art could play guitar, like no other. Mm-hmm. And um, the cramps, they did it in their own style. Cause they were like early rockabilly, almost kind of psychobilly. Punk. Yeah. And the, um, I, I forget the guy's name. Who's the front man of the cramps, but like he does that in this very staccato voice, which I feel like is where you're getting kind of that parody uh, or, yeah. or satire feel from. But that was just the way that he stylistically did it. That's and interesting. Polson did a phenomenal job of copying that. Yeah. And, and I would dare say that he did a better job of copying it. Okay. Which is weird to say. <laughs> so there, I may be listening to uh, some original uh, songs after this. This is a song, personally, I wasn't a big fan of, and I probably wouldn't recommend it personally, but... I think I think now knowing that it's a cover and being able to know that there is some other you know versions of it that to go to I think I think my stance on it may change yeah. a bit. Uh, and then finally uh, finishing off uh, th- those two are there. Then it has the um, the two other tracks that we previously yep. mentioned. Uh, and then finally the last track on the album is "Don't Tread on Me." And Matt, I'm gonna let you take it away on this one. Perfect. So 
Um, this is the song that Volbeat actually did on the Metallica Blacklist. Uh, it was, I believe it was 53 artists covering uh, different songs off of Metallica's Black album, but in their own style. And we saw features from Volbeat. We saw Ghost, Miley Cyrus, Elton John, Chris Stapleton, among many, many others. The band really goes full Metallica, as expected, being a Metallica song. The I like the twist that the band put on it, but there are some of the some things about it that make me that I would say I prefer the original. the The more singing nature of this cover was done in a decent way. So, like the vocal delivery, as opposed to where James Hetfield is a little bit more like rapid fire and he doesn't really hold uh, certain words out in the, the vocal delivery. Mike, uh, Michael here ended up kind of holding him out a little bit longer. And again, it was done decently. It's just, I think part of the charm of the original version is this because it was a little bit more rapid fire in the vocal delivery from James. I think that's what I prefer a little bit. And I think they actually sped up the song just ever so slightly. It's the, I that's really possible. noticed I'm sure it. Lars couldn't keep up in the original. <laughs> I, th I, I think I really noticed it based on the opening riff is it, it felt like it was not too much faster, but it, uh, maybe like 10 BPM at most, uh, at least like for, for the tempo of this. 10 BBM is pretty high up there, actually, and like in terms of increasing the speed of a song. Yeah, and, but I'm, it, it, they didn't go and like drastically spe speed yeah. it up. It was it was a gradual increase. Yeah, um, I don't really have much to say on this, like the actual song itself. It's okay there. I, I, as I've mentioned before in the past, I'm not a Metallica fan. Mm -hmm. um, I respect them and what they did for music. I'm just not a fan of it. But that being said here, as Matt mentioned, th this is the um, the version that they included from the Metallica's Blacklist cover. Uh, cool thing I found out actually about that album that made me just respect it that much more uh, is that Metallica donated half the proceeds to All Within My Hands Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, I, I forget exactly what they do, but it's like a charitable organization that Metallica had started. Yeah. Um, and that I, if I remember correctly, has something to do with like teaching kids music or something along those I, lines. That sounds right. Um, but the uh, the other half of the proceeds went to the charity of the covering artist's choice, and so like that's cool. I I, I just I, I respect that a lot, especially for musicians who. Music's a hard industry, mm -hmm. and like yeah, Metallica's huge at this point. They probably can spare the expenses and stuff like that. And a lot of the bands that they had cover on here can spare the expenses. But I, I just it's always a, a nice thing to see whenever like they're going to be doing something like yeah. that. So. I thought that was super cool. Uh, it's also a nice nod since Metallica were the um, really the, one of the biggest reasons that Volbeat broke out. Uh, mm -hmm. Since Metallica brought them on tour as they were releasing uh, uh, Beyond Hell and Above Heaven, uh, so like they're they're really the reason that Volbeat is as big as they are. Yeah, R respectfully so. I like the solo on this one far more than I like Hed or, uh, uh, Hammett's solo mm -hmm. on the original, and that's why this cover beats it for me. That's fair. Like otherwise. It's basically the same song, but the solo is so much better on this one. <laughs> no, I get that. And that's going to wrap it up for our breakdown of Servant of the Mind by Volbeat. And what we like to do is b bestow our tentacle rating, where we rate the record on a scale of one to eight tentacles. And I'm actually, 
really excited to hear what your rating is. Yeah, so this one here, it, it's going to fall on a six for me. Okay. Like, it, I feel like this album has um, built from a Valentine energy, where it was an album that I didn't expect to enjoy, and I feel like they delivered really well. They delivered more than what I had expected. Mm-hmm. And overall, like it's something that I'm gonna comfortably come back to and listen to a lot of the songs on again. I, yeah, like they they did a solid job on this yeah. one. Yeah, no, I I can agree with that. So I'm originally I had put down a six, uh, but part of it was part the a little bit of the shock factor was really kind of leaning kind of leaning into what I was rating it because I was so surprised that I liked the record as much as I did. Um, I ended up putting it as a five. I think the quality of songs here is is really good. The weak ones really tank, but when the material's strong, it's really strong. There may Again, there may be a few points that were given based on the record being just better than I expected, but oof, I, I'll, I'll give the small victory to the record and... I'll I'll likely come back to a number of songs here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I respect that. But that is going to do it for all 18 freaking tracks on this album, man. That was Yeah. This is a little bit longer one just because of that. Like there was just a lot of stuff to talk about here. Yeah, it it was dense. <laughs> but uh what we'd like to do here from uh, on the show is we like to go into a segment we like to call the hidden track in which we talk about something unrelated to the album. Uh Matt, I'll let you go ahead and kick us off today. Yeah, absolutely. So, the first thing I wanted to talk about and if I've talked about this on the podcast before, I do apologize. We sometimes this all blurs together. Eskimo Calmo, Eskimo Cowboy dropped another song. It's called fantastic. Pump It. <laughs> um, while it's not the same lightning in the bottle like Hypa Hypa was, it brings the goofy that's as expected with this band. Also, the song is about and very much features a poor version of it in the music video. Bodybuilding. Yep. It's the whole thing is just about bodybuilding. You see the guys and I really like how they they choreograph the the all the songs so they're there it's the all, all of them just dancing and have a good time. If you watch the music video, one of the guitarists is playing a guitar and instead of it being the regular guitar body, is it's a weight, mm-hmm. a, a straight up just weight from the gym. Um it's a it's a fun song. It's it's goofy. It's Eskimo Cowboy as expected. It definitely is. Um, they're actually going to be here with Attack Attack, and get a, out. a special guest. So I'm 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 definitely going. I'm sure that you are too, dude. I have to. I'm I'm really hoping their special guest is going to be the Browning, <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> Just because at that point it's like EDM metal fest, and I'm 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 there for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um. I know I sent this to you, but uh, we may as well just call it the Tentacobop Fest because or the <laughs> Tentacobop Tour because it's Beartooth, Silverstein, Devil Wars Prada, and Era. Mm-hmm. They're coming. Um, it's super excited to go to that. Now this band I've heard the name of for a while, and this is actually the first time I think I've ever listened to them. Bad Omens dropped material. And they sound familiar. The reason I actually really wanted to call these guys out when I found out they dropped a new song, Jesse Cash, who is the clean vocalist and one of the guitarists for Era, actually helped write material on this the record that that band's got coming out. Oh, good for him. Um, 
So he had actually posted on Instagram. I've I've been following him now for a little while, probably since the era record dropped. Since you fell in love with them, basically. <laughs> and he had talked about like you know I worked on uh, some guitar sections on this song and this song. I think it was only two songs that he had referenced. Um, that being said, this song's called Artificial Suicide, and it's going to be off of their record dropping February twenty fifth. I don't recall the name of the record, um, but this song is a roller coaster of styles. The chorus is a, this very chuggy, groovy riff under some fairly heavy vocals. And then we get two of the verses delivered very similarly to what you would expect or what you would get from Billie Eilish. It's it's a lot of different things kind of mixed together. And I'm kind of in for it. I think this is one of the records that we should for sure bookmark as like a must review. Like this one, Fit for an Autopsy and Shadow of Intent, I think are the three we've, we have to do come yeah, in sure. early 2022. The, that record's going to be titled The Death of Peace of Mind. Uh, Thank you. I looked it up as he was talking. Because <laughs> you're a good friend. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this week I have two things that I want to break up as well. Bring up as well. Uh, the first is Spite dropped a new single. It is unforgiving. It is stupid amounts of heavy and it's I gross. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm, I'm have become over the past like year and a half a really big Spite fan, mm-hmm. and this song is no exception. Like it is everything I expected to hear. Darius is a madman, and I just, I want to hear more. I cannot wait for the new album, which yeah. is definitely going to be another one that we bookmark. No, what, next 100%. <laughs> and with that song is I, I was telling Gabe about it is when the, I guess you could call it the first breakdown hit. Oh, before you continue, actually, I'm going to call out the name of it. Cause I totally forgot to do that. It's called made to please. Yes. Um, I remember I was sitting in like that first breakdown hits and the stank face hit and it was so nasty for so long. My face started hurting like, like my face just started locking up and I was like, I, I can't not make the stank face. It's just that gross. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, I'm sorry. I forgot. I have one more thing in addition to the next thing I'm going to talk about. Um, there was a, a local band called Foxhound here in Phoenix they released an, uh, an EP called That Sinking Feeling uh, on December 3rd. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend anybody to go check it out. Uh, good good buddies of mine and just phenomenal beginning to end. It's kind of like the uh, like heavier side of like pop punk and, and rock, okay. I, I would say. like It's a phenomenal EP. Just go check it out. It's called uh, Foxhound, and uh, the title of the EP is gone where did it go um i I just had it up oh no (laughs) (laughs) uh that sinking feeling i'm sometimes i'm dumb uh anyway uh the uh second thing that i really actually wanted to talk about is uh the band heavy hitter so it's heavy slash slash hitter release an ep called street violence on uh uh, december 4th it's five tracks of stupid heavy like i just if you like beat down hardcore and that kind of stuff like this ep is for you go check it out it's fight your grandmother kind of music and i love it oh that's saucy <laughs> yeah, it's 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 unforgiving and i you know i'm about that yep 
but yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and uh, check us out. If you can like, rate us, and subscribe to us on whatever medium that you're listening to us, we would really appreciate that. Yes, we you would. You can also find us on a variety of social medias. We are available on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll worry about Twitter probably in the new year at this point. Uh, but next week, we are going to be taking the week off uh, since it the album or the uh, release would be coming out on uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Uh, so we're just going to take a take a week off. We're going to get ourselves ready for the year-end episode that will be releasing on December uh, 30th. And, uh, yeah, I hope everybody has a good and safe holiday time. And uh, we'll see you later. We'll catch you in the next one.